everybody. Welcome back to the Venus and Mars podcast. You've got your host, Anya Shack here. And today I'm excited to talk about a topic that I feel has the world kind of in a frenzy. And that's this idea of being polyamorous. So, you know, I got another message from another girlfriend of mine who just went through another breakup because her partner has decided that he is actually polyamorous. And it just seems to be happening all the time over and over again. So in light of this, I thought it would be a great idea to just really talk about what is polyamory? What's monogamy? How do we define these things? How does a person know if they really are polyamorous or monogamous? What is the intention behind uh, these these ways of being? Um, what is partnership? What are all of these things that we seem to be maybe using buzzwords for, but not really clear about the intentions beneath the words? And so I have here with me an incredible woman to unpack this, to talk about this. She is wonderful. She's a psychotherapist. She's a writer. What she does is that she is able to get across such realness and rawness with the most graceful elegance and the most amazing love for all people. And so that's what captivated me. And I've been captivated by her for many, many moons now. Uh, and I would love to welcome Tawny Lyons. Hi, thank you so much. I feel so embarrassed right now. What sweet kind things you're saying. See your voice already. People can already hear your like elegance and just gracefulness in the way you are. It's beautiful. Right back at you. Welcome. Lately, I've been doing this fun thing with my guests just to kind of jump in. So we're about to talk about these beautiful things. But first, I would love to have you answer the question. What is your favorite thing about men? My favorite thing about men. It's a hard question to ask. I mean, it's a hard question to answer because I feel like every man I know is so different. But I think the thing that I love about men the most is when they're willing to, and many men are, look at what masculinity means to them and stepping away from whatever paradigm we're in that says what masculinity is and defining it for themselves, just really being authentic. And sometimes that includes an essence of containment and sometimes it doesn't, but, <laughs> but I do tend to be drawn towards a kind of masculinity, no matter if it's the gendered body of a man that is more of that, um, how to explain it like that kind of fierce structure that mm -hmm. feel really safe that's beautiful yeah you know fierce structure and safety it all kind of makes me feel like integrity is what's at play mm -hmm. which i think is what we're all craving so much so you almost can't even write this stuff any better than it is. Integrity leads me to kind of jumping into our topic and what it means to be in integrity with yourself, with your desires, and how to also relay that to another and be in integrity with another person in front of you. What do you feel is kind of in your, just to sum up, is going on around this kind of confusion or desire for polyamory? that's just become a little more popular these days than ever before? First of all, I'm really grateful that there are different alternative relationship structures now being talked about. Um, I think it's so important that we have choices that align with our authentic truth. And as you brought this conversation in with this, with this concept and this ability to be of integrity, which... I don't know exactly what the definition for integrity is, but to me, and I imagine I've heard this somewhere else, it's when your actions and your words align and what they align with is hopefully what feels like a capital T truth, mm. not bypassing um, your own emotional needs and not self-abandoning to meet somebody else's needs because that's just going to end up in fuckery and resentment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But I think, you know, I'm in this unique area of the world, the Bay Area, which has so many advantages for 
for being progressive and liberal. And so there is a lot of consensual non-monogamy and polyamory. Um, and I think that a lot of people are drawn towards it when they don't feel like they resonate with the husband and wife, white picket fence, 2.14 kids or whatever that is, right? And so they're curious about, well, what else is out there? Um, and sometimes I think people just kind of hop into or get curious about what consensual non-monogamy or polyamory is and try it on, which I think is amazing in some ways. And in other ways, I really wish we could be, be taught social, emotional learning, emotional intelligence um, in school, relationship skills in general, like around nonviolent communication and really knowing what our needs are, what it is that we feel before we could before we calcify ourselves into a kind of identity around sexuality. That's just my biased hope there. Mm, that's really, no, it's really profound. I agree. And I think it's wonderful to have all of these options now. In having many options, though, sometimes things get muddled. And so I guess to start the convo, I seem to, I'm trying to kind of put things into its place. So, you know, the centuries of human that lived in polygamous societies, that was really clear. It was provisional and it was based on um, the man providing protection and financial provisions to as many women as he is able to. And those women are then creating a family for him and nurturing his children. So there's no real emotional or even maybe physical, sexual, I guess, not even connection, but just like exclusivity, uh-huh. exclusivity yes. in those experiences totally makes sense. seems like monogamy has been, I think it's got room for uh, improvement, but it has been, of course, this provisional, this security, but also physical and emotional exclusivity. Yeah, yeah. Whereas polyamory, what is that in your view? What's the definition? Yeah, polyamory is coined, I forget who coined it, um, but it's multiple loves, right? So generally it is more emotional relationships. So it's up to the two plus three, however many people to decide for themselves, but it could look like something like a primary sexual partnership. And Mm -hmm. then you have metamors where there's other relationships, but typically uh, from my understanding, polyamory includes multiple emotional and or sexual relationships, whereas consensual non-monogamy can just include one sexual emotional relationship and then other just sexual relationships. I'm saying just really like in quotation marks so different right yeah um generally from my understanding uh polyamory is more based on emotional even more like love love in a way makes sense you know I um follow this coach and I just took a screenshot just for to get ready for our chat today and it was just a question from a man one of those anonymous questions but um, man talking, can you be a good man and build true intimacy with more than one woman? And then her response is, have you ever pleased more than one woman completely and totally in the way she desires? Why don't you figure out how to build a healthy long-term relationship with one woman and then get back to me? Mm-hmm. So that seems to be the sentiment from a lot of people as I'm reading, as I'm seeing what's kind of going on out there in the the web spheres. And so I think it seems to me that specifically men have this really innate desire to find freedom Mm -hmm. in their lives, right? And a lot of times I think they think that commitment is the opposite of freedom. Yeah. And I'm curious what your thoughts on that. I've seen you write things about this and I think it's moving how you've spoken about it. What do you think maybe they, they're missing or they're not thinking quite through? Yeah. I mean, first I just want to say there was once a quote that I heard when somebody was talking about, they had been both polyamorous and monogamous and he had said, uh, you know, don't go trying to ride two horses if you haven't mastered riding one. And I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. It's um, just like that. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah, you know, not that women are horses or whatever, but speaking to the quote, you know, but I kind of want to say, yes, I absolutely hear the freedom desire in a lot of men, but I also 
think that it's uh, maybe just a core emotional desire for many people. If yeah. we were to say like a woman has masculine wounding or something, if we wanted to use that same kind of framework, like for instance, I did, I do, um, then freedom could be at least at a certain developmental stage in life, the desire, the core desire for freedom. And so then freedom means I can, for many people, depending on what kind of consciousness level they're at without judgment here, but just looking at it like in an objective way, freedom could mean I want to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it because I'm scared of being contained, confined, um, stuck. And I think that that's a very limited and wounded and and um, I was going to say immature, but it seems like there's a judgment there when I say immature. So I'm searching for a different word. Mm. It just feels like a more young desire. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Hey, I think immature might just be a great word. I think it's pretty neutral, just like yeah. not having matured yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll stick with that then. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, you know, if we're looking at freedom on the whole, Cool. Like if we're really panning out, I think just like how you were talking about in the beginning, like defining partnership, defining relationship containers, defining what freedom really is for a person. If that means non-sexual exclusivity, fine, cool. But if it's, it does it, what, what is the essence that you want to feel and how do you want to feel it? Right? Because if we're looking at something like there's a, a theory called the dependency paradox, where just like when we're kids, if we have someone in our lives who we can totally depend on that we feel safe with, we're actually more free to be adventurous in life because we know this person has my back and I have their back. Mm. And even when they're turned away from me, even if we're in different states traveling or whatever, I know that I'm safe, right? And I think it was, um, I think it was Freud that said how, how daring one is when they're sure of being loved. Mm. so you know I think sometimes it's interesting I'm kind of going on tangent here but when we jump straight into these ideals of polyamory or non-monogamy without dismantling our systems of hyper individualization that we have in our culture or more patriarchal capitalistic conditioning I think what can happen is we can say that we're doing these multiple relationships from love and desiring freedom when in all actuality it's to stay uh removed from our hearts and more avoidant in action. This is very powerful. You know, I just started reading the book, Hold On To Your Kids by Gabor Mate. Oh, have you heard of this book? book? No. I mean, it's kind of taking us a little bit a further root cause of potentially what's happening in our society, but he's basically saying we've become a culture of peer oriented people instead of parent oriented people. And so because of that, we don't actually have as much autonomy and individualism as we pretend we do. We're not really grounded in ourselves. And so that that's why these fat like fads happen so quickly and we want to try new things and it, it could be like you're just saying that that's maybe the root cause of why things have changed so drastically in the last few decades. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because there is a kind of group thing, right? And if we don't have healthy models of relationships around us, which I've heard Gabor Mate talk about too, then it can be really challenging to know what to do, how to be true to ourselves if we don't know, we look around and we don't see anybody really modeling that or modeling love modeling care yeah that makes sense I I really visualize like I don't know somebody who witnessed a really unhealthy monogamous relationship right like their parents Mm -hmm. maybe product of the 60s and 70s no care no love no affection just like grin and bear it and so they kind of drew this big sign on the monogamy door that says there's no freedom here Yes. You know, everyone's just like coming up to that door and is like, nope, not there. So let me find all these other ways. Yes, you said it, right? Because if we switch out that same, those same feelings and expressions or non-expressions of what's happening in that example of a unhealthy monogamous dynamic, if you just put that into polyamory, that doesn't mean it's going to work right? It doesn't, I don't actually believe personally that the relationship container matters 
that much. I think it's about the tools and the self-connection and the connection that we have with other people. That's what matters. Like if we're good at monogamy, maybe we'd be good at polyamory too. But if you're not good at being in relationship, you're probably not going to be good at being polyamorous either. That's really profound, Tani. Like it's really not about these like words, these labels we slap onto the experiences we have. It's really about what's underneath. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. You know, I actually, in my life, I have a polyamorous friend that is a couple. And what fascinates me is the way that they run their lives is very similar to a monogamous couple that I know that I also respect and admire. It's very similar. Like one of the people in the relationship hasn't had another sexual partner in about four years because that hasn't happened in four years. And they just are under the clear boundaries and guidelines and principles that when that comes into their space, they're going to have a conversation about it and talk about why it's needed, you know, what might be missing, all these things. And they're calling it polyamory. Whereas I, in my life, would like to be in a relationship where four years, five years down the line, I can, my partner can come to me and tell me something like, I'm really feeling like I want to sleep with this other person. Can we talk about it? Yeah. I would like to have that conversation with no judgment Mm -hmm. and like my label would be monogamy, but it sounds Mm -hmm. like the same relationship as the one that's being labeled polyamory. So I'm, I'm very confused really. Yes. Yeah. Well, your confusion makes so much more much sense, you know, I think, you know, these words, I'm going back again to what you said at the beginning are filler words often and there's so much of that in our culture you know Mm -hmm. love relationships soul um freedom no matter what it is it doesn't actually mean anything until we define it for ourselves Mm -hmm. so I'm 100% with you that is also the type of relationship design that I build to work um or work to build and desire because to me if you want to have a long-term partnership you're going to have to be able to have really tough conversations like I'm attracted to this person what is coming up inside of me Mm -hmm. and then the added layer here that not everybody wants but I think if you want a conscious relationship it needs to be something that you talk about is And what is this triggering in me from my past? And does this remind me of my mother, my father, or am I acting like one of them or whoever, whatever caretakers you've had, right? Because until we actually work on those um, attachment ways that we've learned how to be in relationship, they're just going to be there and we're going to be reactively from there, just putting band-aids on top. Mm, This is very powerful stuff. I have read that since uh, the industrial revolution, like the amount of young kids with attachment issues has grown. And now something like 97% of people have some sort of void or missing experience within attachment. And so we all have some sort of issue to deal with. So hopefully that's like a a good thing in the sense of like, it's almost all of us. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, and even if our parents did the absolute best they could, right, we still are pretty isolated, at least most of us from larger culture. Mm. And historically, we had, I think it was 24 times the amount of social connection as kids with adults um, than we have now. So there's just so many missed opportunities for feeling secure. Yeah, there's a statistic from that Gabor Mate book. In 1965, the average working American man had an extra 45 hours a week. By 1993, that number became 17. So, I mean, hello. Yes, hello, exactly. And I just feel this, like, fierceness bubbling up inside of me around this because it's like, I feel like that's what I would like to be focusing on more so is like how to change these larger systems of capitalism and barely living instead of trying to figure out how to kind of piecemeal a life that feels a little bit okay, but doesn't actually feel whole and complete and rich and vibrant. I like have goosebumps. Yeah. Because don't you just feel like everyone's like grasping for straws? Yeah what it seems like here's the answer here's the answer here's the quick fix this is gonna fix my life and you know to be totally transparent here 
I, what led me partially on my journey towards therapy and focusing on intimacy and sexuality was at the tail end of a very long relationship that spanned from the time I was 16, I thought my identity was more non-monogamous or that I wanted to try it out, right? And so I went into it thinking, this is going to be the thing that fixes me, that fixes us instead of digging deeper in and saying, what is coming up in me? And it's not that I wouldn't come to the answer of, I want to date other people, I want to sleep with other people or whatever, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not anti that, but just looking at those structures as the answer instead of understanding, oh, wow, I have a really huge fear of abandonment that I haven't healed or even looked at. And I don't feel sexually satisfied and I because I don't feel comfortable in my body and I don't know how to verbalize these things and I don't know how to have boundaries and I people please like all of that's still going to be there. <laughs> God, I just relate so much. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I've done that too. I've thought to myself, well, maybe, you know, I'm just this kind of person who would be kind of completely okay with their partner having all these multiple sexual partners. I like really thought about this in my, in my head. And I was thinking those thoughts because I wasn't comfortable fully expressing myself with another yet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And oh my God. Yes. Because I have seen men and women both actually who have, who seem to have a deep need for attunement that they didn't have, which is one of the five pillars of, of secure functioning attachment that we need. So they didn't get a lot of it. And they've, they've decided in their mind that if I have multiple partners, then I can get my needs met from multiple people and I can get attuned from multiple people, which is true. But if you don't first look at that chunk of, I have these needs, I have this deep need for connection you're going to be, again, just like scraping at the surface instead of just pulling out your heart and being fucking brave enough to say, I really want attunement. I really want you to see me even when I'm in pain. And I really want to see you even when I'm in pain. And you can't really get to that part by pretending it's not there and having multiple partners instead. Wow. That just reminds me of also what Mate has said around attachment is a really bipolar experience. Like it's not something he said something like, you've got to have one main source, and then you can have other attachment, other people that you're attached to. But there's always got to be that one main source. Otherwise, you're going to feel helpless, lost, just completely, you know, not grounded, really. Yeah, Yeah, an anchor, right? Mm -hmm. When we're young, that helps us to internalize that within ourselves. But if we don't have that, then we can be searching for that outside of ourselves. Because when you were speaking earlier about um, the person who said, "Have you have you met all of a woman's needs or whatever?" I was always I was also thinking about what about his needs. So to meet your needs and another person's need, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, and like what are our needs now? They're different than they were 50 years ago. And it's so interesting. Like there's, I also just read a lot of like Reddit blogs and men's blogs. And I'm just fascinated by what's going on, especially in the male psyche, just because I coach men and it's something that I'm really passionate about. But this idea of like, I know I was just supposed to make a lot of money and like, just be strong. And like, I just don't know what else, like, I feel like I'm doing all that stuff and it's not enough anymore. And I don't know what to do. And I think there's just a complete confusion around what are the needs? What are the needs? Mm -hmm. And I think it's a real disservice to men um, when we think that men have less emotional needs. Because in my experience, a lot of the times men will actually have more. Um, And it doesn't make them weak. It makes them you know, dynamic. Yeah. You know, what's fascinating to me as someone also with a lot of masculine wounds that I've been working on, always asking myself the question, like, what is the embodiment of being in a more of a feminine mind space or more of a masculine mind space? I'm always asking myself that question. And I find that when I'm overthinking and I'm trying to figure out something, trying to get to the bottom of it, I'm like, ah. I'm trying to be feminine, but it's the actual act of overthinking that keeps me in the masculine. And that just gave me this big aha, like the amount of compassion I have for men, because they're usually there. 
they're usually in that overthinking space. Mm -hmm. That's their majority experience. And so they just keep it inside. And so it's just, there's so much more compassion with that. I wonder how much of that is conditioning, you know, to be strong, to make money, to provide, because you'd have to kind of slice off your body from that experience if you're constantly having to produce. Um, and in the work that I do and how I conceptualize things, I, I used to be really into masculine and feminine dynamics, like looking at them that way. But now I tend to think about them similar to what you're saying right now about the overthinking, the, the, the brain or the thinking mind versus the heart. Mm. And I think that there's just something really potent in there for me because if we're all just in in men a lot of the time too living in that thinking mind or somebody who produces a lot then that that road from your brain to your heart can be totally congested Mm, makes sense yeah and I I know that you know in indigenous times and indigenous culture still men had um a space for their emotions within the elder men within the group mm-hmm. of men that they were around, they had a constant support system. And now it's just so missing in American men. And so I think leading back to the conversation around polyamory, it's just, it seems like, well, how do I deal with myself? How do I deal with all these feelings, these thoughts, these these unrequited answers, like these things I haven't been able to answer? Well, maybe let me try to not fully commit to one person. Yeah. Maybe that's something maybe that's something and along the way that might be what exactly what we need in different stages right like if I'm working on my career and I don't actually have the bandwidth for relationship maybe something like casually dating or seeing somebody once a month or seeing multiple people but it being very transparent is what's appropriate as long as everyone is in on it right but then until I can actually commit to myself a hundred percent, don't, yeah, it's hard to commit to another person. That makes a lot of sense, you know, and I think men get a bad rap too. Like they, they're made to feel guilty for wanting, desiring a, a woman instead of wanting to commit to her. Their like desire in general and their sexuality gets a lot of, you know, just like, hate. it's definitely a little bit different instinctually than ours is. Ours is driven by stability <laughs> and theirs is, is not, it's driven more by novelty. So makes sense why just like in my just frame of reference, it seems that more men are interested in polyamory than women are. Just mm-hmm. as far as I've, in my uh, experience, maybe it's different where you are too. Yeah, I haven't experienced that. Mm. Yeah, but I've definitely heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting question, right? Because we all want love and I'm convinced that men also want love. Deep, deep love. (laughs) Yeah, I believe that. I really do. Yeah, a moment ago you said something and then just, it brought something up in me around you talking about how men used to have elders in community that they could talk to, right? And a lot of time elders are not really a part of our communities anymore in that way where we can look up and be inspired by people. Um, And I've noticed that a lot of men will use their primary sexual relationships as a way to process emotional things Um, or not even a sec, like, you know, even in friendships. And I think that, you know, in my work as a psychotherapist, I want to offer that space of reparenting and holding in a loving, compassionate way. But then if I offer that in a partnership or as a friendship, I'm really getting curious about how that could potentially create a kind of poor Madonna split in in sexuality, either for the woman or for the man. And I'm really hoping that there can be more conversations around healthy masculinity from men to men and not just in men's circles, but with multiple genders all talking about these things instead of there being this kind of secrecy around it. I love what you're saying. It just sparked in me. Eight out of 10 male suicides in the West happen after a breakup. Mm. It is a huge number, which beneath that, what it's saying is that because men are not emotionally leading in their relationships, they're following the emotional leadership of women and after some time, their emotions 
are not there and they just kind of disappear. Mm. So when these men have disappeared and then the relationship is over, then they feel like nothing of them is left. Yeah. So alone. So alone. Mm -hmm. That's why it seems like what, when talking about needs from men, what we need men to do (laughs) is be in ownership of their own emotions and lead their own emotional space. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's like, cause I've even, I've talked to another therapist. He says, you know, couples come into my office and it's the woman dragging him in. And she's the one that's, it's fascinating because just transparently, like I'm really interested in a relationship where uh, the man is like an emotional leader of our space. Mm. Like he can bring things up. He can make things clear. He can set the, set the stage in a way. I find that to be also really attractive. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I also find it to be really attractive. I think when I've experienced it too, sometimes I can feel intimidating, you know? Um, especially because I was one of those people who, was very not um, connected to my heart for a long time. Mm. It was very dissociated. That was my journey was being so heart open, getting hurt, closing it down, right? Like so many of us. And so when I am with a man who can lead emotional presence, sometimes my own insecurity will come up like, oh, have I not done enough work? But honestly, I think that that is such a beautiful growth opportunity to be able to be meet, be met and then inspire another's evolution. And that's the hope that I have for a relationship too, that sometimes I can do that for him, that sometimes he can do that for me. <laughs> yeah, that seems really great. That that seems like the, the goal, the dream, like can we both own our own emotions and lead ourselves and find a way together? Yeah, absolutely. To me, this feels like, so, so much of what we're talking about is about power dynamics. Mm. Um, And again, I want to name that I live in the Bay Area in San Francisco, which is a kind of a different bubble than a lot of places. LA is kind of similar, maybe different liberal places can be too. But I found that a lot of this wounding of um, non-emotions is in the woman in a relationship too. Like where there's a very strong, powerful woman that doesn't have connection with her heart or emotions, but she's gone very far in life. And then she's paired with a passive man or an overly quote, emotional man. And so I think it's so fascinating to even remove the gender, not remove the gender, but just kind of move that aside and look at the power dynamics and how we can co-create and co-lead together, Mm. being more heartful humans and connection in general. Mm, I love that. You know, it's just, it's like that quote. I still, I'm still trying to figure out what this quote really means. I'm curious your thoughts. This idea of like, everything's about sex, except sex. Sex is about power. Power. That used to be one of my favorite quotes. And now I feel very sad. (laughs) Yeah, like, what does it even mean? I think that what the, I can't remember who said the quote, actually. But I... To me, what it means is like a driving force of just to go back to systems of domination. Mm. Because if love is a part of sex, Mm. Bell Hooks talked about love being a part of sex and moving to more of a a culture of care and love, then the power dynamics would be conscious. It would be more like consciously kinky, right? Right. But if sex is the place of power, then we're one-upping each other, men and women. And I think that's what they capital t they the ones who profit off of our insecurities yeah i think that's what they want from us because if we're feeling empowered in our relationships as a union as a sacred union then we can just say fuck you to systems of power and create beautiful community but if we're fighting against each other then we can't Mm, i mean divide and conquer isn't that like the manifesto for every dictator Yes. And I think it's, we feel it. I feel it around sexuality and around relationship a lot. Intimacy. I agree. Absolutely. Man, there's so much going on that's unsaid on both sides, right? It's like men are over here in circles talking about, I wish it wasn't about my performance. I'm so self-conscious about my performance. And women are over here talking about, I just want him to like, look at me. I just want him to be slower and just to see Mm -hmm. me and who cares about his performance. Mm -hmm. It's like, 
we're all wanting the same thing. We're just talking about it separately. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. I think there's this deep, deep hunger to be seen, but we've been taught to be seen in different ways. Mm. Yeah. And I love that idea of not having the conversation separate from each other. Mm. I love that. So my question is, what do you think, I know this word gets thrown around all the time. Like, I know you even mentioned it maybe last time we talked, you were like, you can't call someone your partner if you've been on three dates. <laughs> oh my God, I can be sort of brat sometimes. Um, <laughs> but like, what is this whole idea of why people are using that word? And what's going on? Why are people doing that? Yeah, well, I think there's it's nuance. There's multiple layers here, right? Like on the one hand, sorry, I have my door open and, and I think somebody just sped by and it's loud. Mm-hmm. But um on the one hand, I think for some people it can feel inclusive because for LGBTQ folks, you know, oftentimes they can or have historically called each other partner. Sure. And then for other people, if they're older, like older, whatever, if they're in their 30s or 40s or older and they're dating, they don't want to call someone potentially a boyfriend or a girlfriend mm-hmm. or we're dating. It can sound infantile. Mm-hmm. But the thing here that I have trouble with, here's my sassiness about to come out, is Capital L love, when you love someone, when you're committed to somebody, when you're devoted to somebody, to me, that is what partnership is. So we need to define what partnership is because if partner is somebody that you see once a week or partnership is somebody that you don't really have deep emotional conversations with that you have fun with, fine. But label it that because if we're calling each other husbands or wives or partners or whatever else, I think without actually having the oomph underneath it, without having the work, the hard conversations, the sweat, the blood, the tears. And if we're just using that word, then it can be this facade to have fast intimacy. Absolutely. It's just not used right, I don't think. It depletes it depletes the actual what a, what a partner is. We're doing this in every almost all the words in our language. We're like uh, not using them properly. We're not really thinking about their meaning and um, it just goes to show like people are like, "Oh, I read 100 books this month." It's like, "Why don't you tell me you read one book this month and you really got it?" Yeah, you really, really like, let it soak in. Let yeah, it soak in. Because yeah, I I think about partnership all the time, and I'm trying to define things on my own, and it's like it just goes to with this whole idea of like the order of our society. Like we need some semblance of order so it can hold the chaos of our emotions. We can't be so muddled as to like what is label. What's a label versus what is my feeling and. I, I, I'm thinking about partnership in that I personally like for it to be like the someone's your partner when you consider them in and about your life, like their life and your life are intermingled, yeah. I think. It's like a work partnership, two people, like a create, you know, a creative and a, a copywriter and a graphic designer, they're partners because they literally do every single project together. Not just once a week they meet up, they live through their work together yeah absolutely there is a kind of well there's a real commitment to it right yeah and I think if it's just like a once a week kind of thing and yet you call each other partners it's like degrading your heart or degrading um intimacy in general right because I think we're really lacking things like ritual and rite of passage and and reverence for one another And so if we use these words that have been created over long periods of time to mean something very deep Mm. and very soulful, and if we use them without having the backing of understanding, we can harm each other. And I think I, I, you know, trying to define even like the word intimacy, Mm -hmm. trying to define the word like devotion, responsibility, all of these really beautiful words that are relational and they're about the way we relate um, to each other. And it seems like you can't really achieve intimacy unless you have a devoted like connection with someone over long extended amounts of time that brings a sense of stability. Sometimes people say things like, oh yeah, we have such an intimate connection, but it's, I think they're talking about chemistry. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. That kind of spark feeling mm. that 
it's a little hokey, but I think it was Esther Perel who said intimacy is into me, you see. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's a good one of like, yeah, it's not just um, that spark of connection, right? Or that chemistry. It's when you can be dirty and <laughs> and like raw and scared yeah. and still show up and still be held and have somebody say, all of you is accepted. Right. And it, it goes back to why our attachment with our parent is so important, because if we don't have that, then all of us isn't accepted because all, all of us isn't accepted in a peer relationship. It's impossible. It's, it's two immature, small people trying to accept each other. They're not going to. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense. So we're all just healing through that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So how do you feel about kind of where we're at in regards to monogamy, where we've come to after the 50s, the 60s? Yeah. I think when I think of monogamy, for some reason, I think of marriage and I truly don't know that many people who are choosing marriage anymore. There's a kind of sadness and grief that comes up in me around that. Not because it used to be better. I don't believe that to be true. Yeah. But because I think that um, depending on the depthfulness that you want from this life and through intimacy and through being really met and seen, that simply from a time management perspective or emotional bandwidth perspective because fact of the matter is we have limited emotional availability that something more akin to marriage or monogamy can be the most deeply rooted thing we could possibly have but I think from my understanding most people that end up getting married young or choose monogamy it's more of a compulsive decision sometimes based on because it's what they're supposed to do or based on fear or based on jealousy And I think that if we consciously choose in a disciplined way to be devoted to another, that there's the potential to heal intergenerational trauma. That's the lens that I hold. And I imagine some people feel that way about polyamory too. Mm. Um, But there's something especially, I don't know, this is my own bias, but I'm gonna share it, especially from a man being totally devoted to a woman that feels um, like it has the potential to pass through generations of harm and abuse. And I'm probably saying that because I'm a woman, because if I put myself in the situation, seated and imagine myself as a man being devoted to from a woman, I imagine, wow, that could be incredibly moving and healing too, to say, I see you, I respect you. I see that you're of integrity, I adore you. I want to devote myself to you and to healing. You know, that's a different kind of monogamy. Wow. You're just speaking such beautiful things. I hope everyone listening can really take that in. I think it's powerful to speak on personal experience and personal bias and what we feel and believe. And I think what you're speaking to is, in essence, what it feels like to be claimed, to be wanted by a man. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of women want that. And not in the sexual way, right? Yeah, not in the sexual way. In the full-on, I want you as my partner way. I think when a man does that, it's really profound because then he gets to experience all the radiance and vibrancy that comes through from a woman when she is truly safe. Safe. Yes, I really don't. I really, I don't know if you agree. I'd love to hear, but... We really don't believe we can have access to all the different parts of us in our endlessly fascinating way in our partnership until we feel safe to do so. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's really powerful. And I think one of the best ways, maybe it's just us working together. And again, this is something I believe personally, but this idea that one of the best ways we can support men is to just stop trying to compete with them prove ourselves to them and just let them support us. That's very hard. (laughs) You say it so easy. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'm just thinking about like men and the way that I interact with men, just even friends. And like, you find that they're so singular focused. They do want to accomplish things and do things. And one interesting thing about men is that they want results but they're willing to kind of do the minimum viable effort to achieve the result. 
So like, it's actually a woman's, I guess, choice and a woman stands at the center of what the effort is going to be required. Like, Mm. what's the effort that we're going to require here in the fifties? Like it was, you're not going to have sex until you marry me. That Mm. was what was required. So the men were like, cool, that's what we're doing now today. (laughs) I I hear guys tell me all the time, like, literally life is so boring. Like it's so easy to have sex nowadays. I feel like empty. Mm. There's no effort being required. Mm. And so maybe that, I don't know. I think I went on a funny tangent of something I'm passionate about, but like it, it just seems to me that like there is this symbiotic dynamic around what we're requiring, what they're providing, how we can require safety in a bigger way. But again, we can't require safety if we don't trust them. And we don't really trust them right now, collectively. And I don't know that we trust ourselves either. Yeah, that's such a great point. I think we've all kind of gotten a little bit, I don't know, (laughs) we're spinning. I think so too. There is a lot of spinning. I mean, we're still in the collective trauma of the pandemic, right? Right. And it's just... When we have, I mean, there is a real thing of decision fatigue too, you know? Yeah, that's true. Analysis paralysis too is another. True. Well, I was just thinking about what you were saying about the effort. And I think it just takes a lot of self-knowing to know what kind of effort you need to be in contact with yourself and then to be in contact with another person. Because you can just like bump genitals all day long, right? And if you want to do that, that's okay. If that, sure. that's what you want to do. But if you want something that's more connected, it's going to take you knowing what brings your heart and yoni or heart and lingam or whatever into alignment. Like, mm-hmm. where do you actually feel that connection if that's what you want? Powerful stuff. And that's that requires lots of healing. Listen, I'm not interested in a 1950s lifestyle. Like, you know, I, that's not the point of bringing that up. The point was just to say that monogamy was experienced that way. And I don't think it worked very well in many ways, emotionally and sexually. It left women and men completely void of a lot of their souls. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then if you, you there, there's, there's the flip side of that too, where if it becomes a chase, then one can become addicted to the dopamine chase, the dopamine, the dopamine hunt, you know? That's true too. And, but there were parts of it that did work. That kind of stability that I think people require, you know, are interested in. And oh, I think it was a way level up from polygamy, <laughs> which really only benefits the, the richest top guys, you know, the the guys at the top of the hierarchy that really only benefits them for everyone else feels like a bit of a slave to the the idea. Mm. Now that we're in this phase of talking about polyamory and this idea of multiple loves, which seems interesting to me. And if people are able to do that, I'm all for it. Yeah. But it seems like maybe there's also an opportunity to write a new story around partnership yeah I I think you're so right on the money there right around writing new partnership around or writing a new story around partnership yeah <laughs> a part of me I'm gonna say something risky just doesn't know if we're actually in a kind of collective consciousness way at a place where polyamory or you know consensual non-monogamy or conscious monogamy any of those things could actually work until we get our hands dirty and recognize that we're just perpetuating the same old shit and calling it something else. Totally, 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 man. (laughs) Thanks for saying that. I don't think it's working. Honestly, I don't. I I really don't think it's working. I think it's like appeasing also some of the, even just going to say this too, all the people that I know that are in poly relationships, the men in the relationship are way more satisfied because they're just going off animal instinct. And for men, novelty is more, is related to their animal instinct for women. It's not, like I said before. So like the women aren't really happy, but they think they are. 
And it seems to me to be not working um, because I think for something to work, both people involved, all three people, all four people need to be fully happy. Yes, totally. It's so interesting that that's been your experience too, because I've heard the total opposite that it's easier for women to find, yeah, that it's easier for women to find other partners in relationships. And then the man ends up feeling like, oh, I don't, maybe because they don't have as much money or resources, or I'm not quite sure, but that there can be a total disparate connection there for the woman having way more men and then men being like, okay, how does this work? <laughs> like, how do I get to work? That blows me away, man. I'm really fascinated by this stuff. I just feel like we've really given people kind of this like inside look as to what these things are how to think about partnership. Maybe I'd love to hear maybe one of the last things, like what would you like for people to kind of take away from this hour? And what, what do you, what would you like for people to think about now having heard this? Yeah, I would really love people to think more about their own personal conditioning whether that means from your family system, definitely your family system, but also your peers what you've learned to believe around sex, what sex means, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what relationship is and what partnership is and biases around monogamy and polyamory. Um, I think, you know, being able to look at all of these things is gonna educate us enough where we're more in a stable place to make the decision that's right for us. And then my hope too is that People will not, unless you really feel that it is an identity for you, get too stuck on any of these things as an as identity and remember that we're ever shifting and ever evolving. And if we want to be lovers in this lifetime, then we always have work to do on making more space in our heart available to ourselves and others. That was absolutely beautiful, literally. Can't take anything more from this wonderful hour with you, Tani. Everything you just said. And yeah, let's cut the buzzwords and start thinking more deeply. Yes, deepen. Deepen. Yes. Deepen. So tell the folks uh, listening where they can find you, follow you, work with you. So my name's Tawny Lyons and it's T-A-U-N-E-L-Y-O-N-S. My website is tawnylyons.com. You can also find me on Instagram. And, um, yeah, I work with individuals and, um, relationships as well and for coaching or therapy. Love it. (laughs) All right, guys. I hope you've enjoyed this one as much as I have till the next one. This is the Venus and Mars podcast.